This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity is turning the lead massive? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Geology Final Cast. My name is Steve. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris. Oh, hello. I'm Jesse. Stuttered there a little bit there, buddy. Well, yeah, I was deciding on which direction I wanted to go. <laughs> and you, went, you went with stutter. I like it. Uh, yeah. I picked the middle ground. <laughs> Fantastic. Another wonderful, wonderful episode for uh, late 2020. This is it. This is the last episode of 2020. Yeah. Are you going to get it out by tomorrow? Yeah, I'll get it out tomorrow. True. A lot of gonna... pressure, buddy. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. As long as there's no catastrophic failures, it'll be out by the afternoon. Well, there's a jinx for you. <laughs> I was just wondering. <laughs> Anyways, what are we up to? Episode 74, 75? Where are we at? I just challenged. Yep. Yeah, time has no meaning. Episodes have no meaning. You have to tell me. Uh, this is great radio sounds. Episode 75, gentlemen. Jesse, what? What, is, what is 75? Oh, What's is this the, like uh, the golden... Silver? anniversary diamond yeah 75th yeah i think it's diamond it depends if we're doing anniversary or jubilee oh yeah either one i'm okay with yeah i think they're both diamond actually because they don't expect you to go beyond that really yeah and speaking of diamond you can become a diamond member of our patreon club and then you'll really know what it's like to be behind the scenes and hear us talking about awesome, crazy, awesome stuff ahead of time. Just ask any of our Patreons. They love it. They can't get enough of it. First, the first rule of uh, Geology Flannel Cast Patreon is not to talk about Geology Flannel Cast Patreon. No, no. That is, uh, <laughs> I, I wish I could talk about it, but I can't. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> We're just, this, is, this, is, this is a great beginning. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast, episode 75 of this well-oiled machine. Where yes. Geologists sit down and dare to discuss the topics that no other geologist will talk about. But speaking the of was we took the week off, and it really, we're, we're all off kilter now. I feel refreshed. I'm like, boom, ready to go. Yeah, I'm t- uh, Chris, what, what is that white? coffee mug behind you oh this this is the exclusive geology flannel cast uh coat of arms coffee mug um if you would like one if you'd like to help out the podcast we are we got these uh really cool 11 ounce coffee mugs yeah it says the geology flannel cast on them and has our little coat of arms we have a little volcano a diamond a rock hammer and a uh a t-rex skull yeah, the next one we're gonna have to make sure it holds twelve ounces because you know I don't know what to do with the other ounce. All right, well this is just, <laughs> this is just very. Oh, it's one. for coffee. My bad. Coffee. Yes. Coffee. It's just version one. We'll have other stuff coming. But, yeah, uh, I can't yeah, wait. So if you're interested in uh, getting some geology flannel cast merch, you get some stickers too on, on the um, on the website. Just uh, click on the under. Um, ah, I can't talk. Click the merch link under geologyflannelcast.com. I know. We're so hip. We call things merch. We've always called it. You're just the one that just learned about that word. I... Yes, because I'm old, Chris. I'm old. I Anyways, call it merchandise. Got to shorten it. That's too long. Yeah. Um, we've got an action-packed episode here today. Who wants to, uh, who wants to get started? We've got some news stories. End-of-the-year news stories. <sighs> I got an interesting one. Um, it's not. not I think we're going to say it's not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting only to me. Everybody it's else will find this terrible. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no. It it partially talks about space, and I don't know. Are we allowed to? Just do it. Just, okay. Listen, it's 2020, man. We're we've back. Been, we've been through a heck of a year. We can do whatever we want at this point. It's so funny. Like, when I, you know, I'm floundering for a story and i'm like all right what's what's science in the news like 98 percent of it is astronomy and space 
There is a lot of a lot of space stuff in the news. It's just like a sexy science topic. People love talking about it. I guess you know, I love there, talking about it too. I love learning about it. You know. So, but it deals with Earth. And it deals with us here on Earth. So, <clears throat> there was some. Um, by the way, this whole space controversy thing was just brought on by ourselves. Nobody ever told us to stop talking about space. <laughs> no, it was yeah. definitely one hundred percent self-induced. Like, wait, we're talking too much about. Yeah, it was totally self-induced. <laughs> and I, it's my bad. I do a lot of space stories. No, it's fine. It's fine. Hey, okay. it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Um. So this one's it's sort of interesting. Uh, it depends on. I think the implication is interesting. All right. So there was these researchers who decided to, they were, I don't know, thinking about the earth and they were sort of thinking about early earth, right? And so are you familiar with the faint young sun paradox? We've talked about it a few times. Yes. Just testing your knowledge here, your, your recall. We've talked about this? Yes, that, that was my nickname when I was eight. Nailed it. Faint young sun paradox. Oh, refresh my memory. Great. I'm, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so stars, most stars over their, over their lifetime, um, they grow hotter, they grow brighter as they age, right? Mm-hmm. And the sun mm-hmm. is no exception. So when the f- sun first, when their ignition first happened four and a half billion years ago and the earth first formed, the sun was like 30% fainter, less bright. Mm-hmm. And, but when we look at early earth, 30% less or 30% of what it is now? Sorry. 30% of what it is now. I, I'm just, I, yeah. I thought it was very faint. Uh, <clears throat> no, 30% of what it's, it's only grown 30% brighter from what it's. Okay. So my bad. So it's 70% of what it is. It was, yes, sorry. That's a better way, yeah. Um, Wait, no, so it, it's grown 70%. No. It's grown brighter. No. It's grown brighter 30%. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. I am You're doing a great job. Awful right co-host. In terms, of, <laughs> in terms of communicating this topic, we are nailing it. So the big, the, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> So much for me not editing today. I really appreciate you guys. (laughs) No, this is this is gold. This is exactly what throwing the gauntlet for you. So it was less bright, and so less bright means colder. Yeah. Okay. So the early Earth should have been much colder. You know, frozen solid essentially. But the cryogenian. Yeah, it was not. It was. It was during like the early Earth. So like the Hadean. And the Archean, it was super hot, mm-hmm. you know, boiling hot. And so the, the, this is what's called the faint young sun paradox because the sun is less bright. And so the earth should be colder, but the earth is actually warmer. And basically it comes down to the early earth's atmosphere was mostly carbon dioxide. What? what? But didn't it also come down to like things like the late heavy bombardment? Yeah. Just- no, that didn't heat up the earth at all? I mean, it heats up the earth, but it's not going to... That, that The energy from like an impact dissipates pretty quickly. I mean, y- yes, it caused the surface to become molten, but... That's pretty hot. Like, <laughs> But you're talking like it, the earth stayed hot for a billion and a half years. So you're not going to get that just from these... Imp- just, no. Okay, okay. Think about like... I mean, you know, <clears throat> the the impact from even Chicxulub, mm-hmm. that that vaporized the rock where it landed, but rock resolidifies pretty quickly. Just think about like a volcano. Yeah, I mean in it, lava, it, how quickly does lava cool? Yeah. It rains quickly. down pretty quickly. Yeah. But you got and you also have to trap the heat. So like it, even if you're making the surface hot by bombarding it. That heat's just going to go off. It's like a pie on a windowsill. And okay. you put your hot pie on the windowsill to cool off and you lose that heat to space. You need something to trap the heat in to keep it there. Mm-hmm. And this is where you're getting out the carbon dioxide? The carbon dioxide. And, and so the, 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 basically the first, what we call the first atmosphere, um, is, is mainly 
carbon dioxide and methane and like ammonia. It's all these just nasty greenhouse gases. And so that's where we're trapping the heat. And so that leads to the idea then is that as the sun gets brighter, it should heat up the earth more. Why isn't the earth hotter today than where we started? And obviously we know is because there's been, you know, cycling of the atmosphere. We, we, we got free oxygen that photosynthesis pulled the CO2 out of the atmosphere. You know, it cooled off the earth enough that water vapor rained out as liquid water. And this is, so all these things are interconnected as what we would call feedback loops, right? Mm -hmm. Where you start, one thing leads to another, and it depends on if, if you keep going in that cycle or if it negates that cycle. So these researchers, long story, intermediately short, <laughs> uh, they wanted to know how feedback specifically like positive feedback um, conditions how they affect planets and more specifically how they how they affect the temperature of planets to make them habitable and so they were looking they, they basically they, they did a model a simulation of a hundred thousand planets and each one was given just a random set of climate feedbacks. Some were positive, some were negative in terms of how they affected temperature. Okay. And they ran the simulation for 3 billion years. No other, they didn't mess with any of the other variables like water content or atmosphere or whatever. They kind of, it was just kind of looking at what the feedbacks did to each other. And was it distance from their star? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily was it, it, I, I'm, I'm assuming it was in this like habitable zone. I, yeah. So that's, okay. I, think it, I, I think it, I think they used earth, like the sun and the earth used those as like the distance. So 90 okay. miles or whatever. And, um, the, the Goldilocks zone. Yeah. Basically it was, it was uh, what they, they ran each simulation a hundred times. Mm-hmm to figure out when the planets got to temperatures that could be habitable and if any of them held that over 3 billion years. And basically it, it comes down to not a lot. Only only 9% so it's 100,000 planets, each one running 100 times, you know, so 10 million runs or whatever. Uh, of that, only 9% were successful once. So mm. you're saying I've got a chance. And only of that, only 1,400 were successful on the very first run. Samsonite, I was way off. And mm. um, some were successful twice and some were th successful three times. Um, but only one planet had, uh, 100 successful runs out of 100. Ooh, earth. Well, so <laughs> they, they didn't use, but basically that's the implication here is that earth, we've been successful for three, mm -hmm. had life for 3 billion years. And they're saying that it's just, it's um, like, I guess the, the, the chances though, that we have yeah. had this are just like astronomical i guess so, no pun intended just just some pretty good luck um uh, yeah. with yes some, but then but then you look at the numbers of galaxies and then the numbers of stars and then the numbers of yeah. planets and and it's you know just like we said where is everybody yeah <laughs> you know the, like, the idea here is that it, and this is a sort of very simplistic simulation and it was very numerical it didn't really use real world numbers or anything it was kind of just looking at how feedbacks work so you know you'd want to make it a little more robust and, and a little mm -hmm. more complicated but it does sort of the idea here is or the implication is when we look at planets in the habitable zone we can't just assume that they're habitable yes 
just that, there's, that yeah. Goldilocks yeah. zone is not necessarily yeah habitable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh, and I guess the the second sort of implication is that you know messing around with feedbacks can can cause some some unintended consequences if you get things running out of control and things could go haywire pretty quickly and pretty easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Wow. Well, just think if, if we didn't have that hot, warm beginning, where would we be? Yeah. We, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> We'd be podcasting a billion years from now. So yeah, so there. I just sent you all the link. You can post that up when you get a chance. It's an interesting little story. Cool. Um, just one of those like thought experiments. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Huh, it's really interesting. Um, just something we take for granted here on Earth. You know, we just go outside and just assume that the weather's going to be habitable. And does it always? Not always like that everywhere. Um, all right, that was a that was a cool one. Um, I guess uh, I'll, I'll go next with this. Uh, this I got an article here about. Uh, looks like in uh, Israel, uh, Tel Dor, Israel, there is evidence for a massive paleo tsunami. So I was reading this article, and um, here's some some really really cool stuff about this about how how big this tsunami could have been all right so let's let's get into kind of just the the basics of how how tsunamis work and 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 what causes them so tsunamis most of the time are caused by earthquakes right so you have some displacement on the bottom of the ocean floor and that pushes up this uh, it pushes up the water and uh, all the water kind of uh spreads out uh, from from where the earthquake occurred and it, it causes this, this surge, which we call tsunami. So a uh, little, little fun fact about tsunamis. A lot of people uh, mistakenly call tsunamis tidal waves, and they're not. So if you ever hear somebody referring to a tsunami and they call it a tidal wave, please correct them immediately. They are not. Um, it, that's, that a tidal wave is it's not the same thing as a tsunami. All right. So tsunamis, uh, you know, I, I think they're, they're, they're like the most dangerous thing when we're talking about earthquakes. So just imagine you're living through an earthquake, right? So let's take like the, the Japan earthquake. And um, when was that big one in Japan? 2011, I believe. Yeah. With the Fukushima yeah. incident. Yeah. Daiichi, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or we could also talk about the, uh, the Indonesian tsunami off of, uh, uh, in, uh, uh, when was, that was 2000. Four. 2004. 2004. Boxing Day, 2004. We just actually just passed the anniversary of that just the other day. So you live through this like really gnarly earthquake. In those cases, those are like 9.0 earthquakes. Really, really bad. All right. You live through it. All right. The building that you're in didn't collapse. You know, you're kind of you kind of shooken up, but you know, you're still alive. Cool. Now the water comes rushing in. You know, depending on how far away you are from the epicenter of the earthquake, it could be pretty fast or it could be a matter of hours later. And the tsunamis, what that's, the, I, like I said, I think it's the most, uh, the, the deadliest part. Because uh, once, once that wave comes, once that, I shouldn't say wave, it's more like a surge. Once that surge of water comes rushing in, it just, it tears everything apart, brings a lot of debris with it. and. Um, there's so many different ways for that, that tsunami to, to take you out, to, to, to kill people. So um, let's see. So this, uh, this new story that I was looking at, they looks like they, they uh, picked up on a tsunami that happened about, uh, about 9,000 years ago. Is it 9,900 uh, 9, to 9,200 years ago. And, and just um, to be clear, <clears throat> everybody knows where Israel is, but this is, Basically, the Mediterranean Sea. Yes, yes, it happened. Yes, the tsunami off of the the Mediterranean. Well, <laughs> so it's it's the de- it's there's a big fault that runs through the Dead Sea. Yes. So it um, it's actually the African plate 
is on the west and the Arabian plate is on the east. And it's a big transform. Sometimes the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea Rift, but it's, it's this transform and it meets up with the Northern Anatolia Fault in Turkey. It's a big triple junction right there. You have mm. three plates meeting each other. That, uh, uh, that fault in Turkey, that's very, very active. Lots, yeah. of, mm-hmm. lots of earthquakes occurring. Is that the fault where they can, the, the, the earthquake is moving up the fault? Like yes. The earthquakes are, how can I better describe that? The, uh, each earthquake is moving like uh, along the fault. and they can, they can pseudo predict where the next earthquake is going to occur. Steve and I have a, in our one class we teach, we have a, there's an assignment where they map they yeah, grab. it's like a lab where you graph it. They, yeah, they grab they 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 graph the length that has moved and the 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 year, and so you can see like 1930, 1940. It's super active. And you can see it just marching, basically. That's toward, so cool towards Istanbul. Yeah. So, so um, they know where the location is, but they don't necessarily know. I guess they have like an I, you know, when you when you try to figure out time frames of earthquakes, it's kind of like. Ugh. But it's it's a, and that's the only one in the world they know of, right? Where the the earthquakes are actually marching along the fault line. Hmm. I think. Do you guys? You guys? Does ever hear anything about that? Is it that the, the only, only one, one I know of? Yeah, yeah I I, I want to say it's the only one in the world that that does that. I mean, if you if of. you look at any fault over a long enough period of time, you can kind of see it. But <clears throat> as far as uh, human perspective yeah that's the one where it's like marching along you know uh the san andreas or the hayward fault like you kind of see like periods of like slip or no slip but it's it's not uh linear like boom 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 Mm -hmm. so so let's go back to uh the spot in israel uh del mar israel um along that area along the mediterranean coastline there tsunamis are, are fairly common events and um data show or records show that there's been uh about one tsunami occurring every century for about the last six thousand years or so and then you know then as you move back once you know uh, further back in time that's when we, we don't we don't have the records so much of that stuff but this tsunami that was uh just discovered was a pretty it's a, fr- a pretty big one so they found so you might ask, how do you find what's known as a paleo tsunami or, or an ancient tsunami? It's tricky, all right? Um, and what these geologists were doing, and there was a group out of, uh, I believe, yeah, out of Scripps out um, in San Diego that was, that was working on this. And they were, they were drilling down in these sediments that should have been like wetlands, all right? So one thing that we have, I have to kind of explain here is, when you're dealing with uh, sediments from this type of environment, like a wetland, um, like probably like some type of estuary environment, the sediments are going to be very, very fine, very, very small. So you can correlate sediment size with the energy setting of, of the environment. So the, uh, the, the lower the energy setting, like kind of the, the more calm it is, you could say, the smaller the sediment grain sizes are going to be that are related to that, to that environment. And this just comes down to the mere fact that it takes more energy to pick heavy things up, right? So if I give you, you know, if I give you a two pound weight to pick up, everyone can pick that up, right? That's no problem, right? But then if I give you like, I don't know, a 200 pound weight, you know, that's pretty heavy. And if, if you don't have the energy to pick that up, it's not going anywhere, right? So that's how you can kind of think of these types of environments, right? Or just in general, when sediments get deposited and, and get moved around, if like say the river that's moving these things around or, or whatever, I'm just picking river just you know, for an example, if a river that's moving sediment just doesn't have the energy to move that piece of sediment around, it just stays still, right? Just stays, stays put, doesn't get moved around. So anyways, yeah, I'm done my long-winded explanation there, but <laughs> <laughs> so they're looking in this uh, these wetland type environments, and like I said, the sediments should be very, very fine grain. We're dealing with like you know, probably just mud, all right? Maybe fine grain sand, right? Really, really small stuff. And these geologists found this this layer of coarse coarse sediment 
probably, uh, uh, sand, coarse sand, and seashells in the middle of, of this area. And basically, they're looking at the sediment saying that, you know, what, what's going on? This, this sand has no business being here. Something, something really strong had to have come around to, to push this sand into this very quiet, calm conditions. So they figured that this, it, this the sand and, and, uh, and the shell deposit must have traveled between one and a half and three and a half kilometers. And they kind of figured that there must have been uh, the, the, the surge that brought this in had to have been 16 to 40 meters, right? They say coastal wave height, but it's the, the tsunami surge coming in. Six, 16 to 40 meters. That's pretty big. That's huge, actually. And so, like I said, this, this thing traveled one and a half to three and a half kilometers. So, all right, I threw that number out there. But looking back at previously documented tsunami events, the tsunami waves, for the stuff that they've known about, have only traveled about 300 meters inland. So we're looking at one and a half to three and a half kilometers versus what we know of as you know, the, the stuff that was, has been previously recorded as 300 meters. So what I'm trying to say is this was a huge surge that brought this stuff in that far inland. Um, so looking at it, it's like just a huge, huge tsunami during, um, during that time period. And um, I believe, I'm trying to look for it now, but I believe it does, uh, this tsunami does link up, it does match up with a, uh, another, uh, an earthquake that they know um, that had occurred. Oh, that's right. They looked at evidence within caves. You, um, I'm trying to figure out, um, see in the article where they talked about, I'm losing my spot right now. But um, anyways, they, they compared this to, um, in one of the, one of the nearby caves, they had, a, a, they had some type of geologic evidence of, uh, of an earthquake that happened about, you know, roughly about 10,000 years ago. And they think that this, this, yeah. this big tsunami deposit lines up with the previous earthquake records that they have. It was the, <clears throat> it's called the um, Carmel Ridge, or it's what's known as Mount Carmel. Um, <clears throat> There's a Mark Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania. There is. It's right near where I grew up. Um, but yeah, what they do oh, a lot of cave time, damage. That's what it is. They looked yeah, at the so cave damage. Cave damage. I was just going to say the, the way they look for earthquakes in cave day, caves. Uh, to some extent, are are fairly not fairly easy, but but they're one place we can date things, especially if there's. Um, um, uh, uh, speleothems, uh, stalactites and stalagmites. Mm -hmm. So stalactites, the, the the pointy things that grow off the the top, the roofs of caves, or stalagmites, which are the columns that grow from the surface of the cave. You know, an, an easy, you know an easy way to remember that so the I, difference between a stalactite and a stalagmite. I, yeah, stalactites hold tight to the ceiling. Stalagmites might impale you if you trip. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that last, the second part. Hmm. Little graphic there, but. What yeah. <laughs> is no, your little trick? No, my, my high school earth science teacher taught me this one, and it stuck with me. I, I still, to this day, this is how I remember the difference. Stalactite has a C in it, C for ceiling. That's, that's I feel like, overly complicated. <laughs> yeah. Hold tight to the ceiling or might impale you if you trip. Yeah, I didn't, I, I knew that. <laughs> Yeah, stalactites hang on tight. Stalactites are growing from the ground up, becoming mighty. No, they might um, impale you. But so you can, <laughs> you can measure. There, there's ways we can we can date them, and so we can see when they break off. We can tell when they break off. A lot of times, caves to, if, especially if the fault runs through the cave, you can you'll get these fractures in in the cave system itself that uh, you can you can age date or assign age to when these fractures occur. So hmm. it's, a, it's a good way in which we use cave damage to estimate when these earthquakes occurred. So um, I guess the other thing, so I guess it's kind of going off the topic a little bit, but uh, earthquakes aren't the only thing that cause tsunamis. Um, 
Uh, asteroid impacts could cause really, really, really big tsunamis. Yeah, or meteorite. Um, this has been an ongoing debate now for. I knew. I, 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 I almost. I almost I've, didn't say it. I almost didn't say it because I've I, acquiesced to yes, asteroid impacts. <laughs> um, landslides too. If, um, yeah. It can also set off really big earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. There's a story about a uh, underground volcanoes or underwater volcanoes. Excuse me. Set off uh, tsunamis. There, well, I wanted to tell this story that there was a, um, uh, a uh, up in Alaska, a father and son on a boat. Uh, I forget oh, yeah. if they were, were they in a lake or yeah, I was a, what fjord. a fjord. Okay. Well, there was a. There was a, a landslide fell into the water body where they were at, and this hundred foot, you know, uh, tsunami. I, I, Not a hundred feet, seventeen hundred feet. In Alaska, it had a run. It was the largest tsunami that's ever been recorded. Wait, the father saw seventeen hundred feet. It was uh, on, the, on the boat. Yeah, Litia Bay. Holy cow! It, it had a run up. Yeah, because you could see the level on the on the cliff walls where it ran up. Yeah. Well, they uh, 1958 Latia Bay earthquake and mega tsunami. Crazy. The giant wave run up of 1700 feet. Wow. If it's in a fjord, I guess it's technically still. Uh, it. I mean, those two fishermen. I mean, they they were killed. No, they lived. Well, the the one. It killed, I, it killed two fishermen. I don't know if they – two other people. Huh. 1,700 feet. I, I mean, it's just if you think of the shape of a – like a funnel. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just the funnel yeah. shape, so it's got nowhere to go but yeah. up. You know, the – Right, yeah. so that, that's not like a, a, a sechi that's wave. Like, that's a – that's a tidal wave. It's a tsunami. That's <laughs> yeah, a tsunami. Yeah, it was caused by a landslide. It's like a right. – there was one in um, uh, where was the one in in Norway in 1905 in the fjord that caused it was it was it was it wasn't as big but it was still you know too oh is that like the movie the wave yeah I think so yeah there's a Norwegian movie called the wave. I haven't seen it I've only seen oh it's very good. we got a uh, we actually got a request to do a the the movie commentary oh for the wave for the for the wave yeah yeah. i've only seen bits and pieces of it man it is exhilarating yeah i would do it slash terrifying so well yeah if we if we want to do that like i've never seen it so if you you want to do it live kind of thing it could be our reaction to it it could be yeah Yeah. i hope it's a good one i don't know Obviously, we did it for Jurassic Park, but we've all seen Jurassic Park many times, uh, once or twice. So, it, really, <laughs> no, I've seen it a hundred times. Oh, wow, I was gonna yeah. say, I mean, I, cause I think I must have seen Jurassic Park like I don't know, five or six times. Yeah, yeah. uh, let's talk about this 1500 foot tsunami. I didn't know about that. 1700 Holy foot, come on, did I say 15? I'm sorry, I, I way off, excuse yeah. me, but but. Uh, it just goes to show you how big tsunamis can be. Wow. Well, yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at the the shape of the uh, of the bay where it's at, and it definitely has that funnel shape. So this is actually also how you find some of these areas with these like huge tidal ranges, like the, like bay, the of bay of Fundy. Fundy. That's yeah, yeah. That's where I'm going with this. Yeah, the Bay of Fundy, where uh you know the the tide comes in you can literally see the tidal bore coming in there's um you can go there's some groups or you can actually surf it in as as it's coming up the bay of fundy there's there's some groups that do like there's some kind of like tubing kind of thing i want to say or like as the tidal bore comes up um yeah so the bay of fundy's got the world's largest tidal range of 16 meters and the reason for that is as the tide is coming in once again, it has to do with the funnel shape of the bay. It constricts as you go as you go inland. So you have the surge of water coming in, but because the bay is the, I guess you could say like the width of the bay is constricting, the water has it's got nowhere to go but up. So it pushes the water up, and that's why you have this 
this um, you know this, this really high tidal surge coming in, um, you know, for high tide. So that's uh, yeah, 16 meters. You could actually watch. There's a lot of um, there's some really cool uh, uh, time lapse videos. You can yeah. like see like the boats in the marina. You know, they're they're, yeah, they're they all get locked. Like- beached or like oh know. yeah the the water just goes all the way out there's there's it's completely it's completely dry and then you see the the high tide coming in and the boats rise up yeah i mean you have to you have to know the tides if you're a fisherman yeah otherwise you'll get you'll get stuck yeah yeah there's uh i know up in maine maine has uh you know uh some really high uh really high tidal range in, in some areas and People uh, see low tide goes out. Tide goes out for low tide, and people will go out there and they'll you know go um, what's it getting clams and stuff like that. But there's been um, people have been stuck. At, you can get stuck out on islands out there. And tide comes in and then you just got to wait it out. And there, there's even been people that have drowned out there, got stuck in the the tidal the change in tides. So, but yeah, you definitely if you're a fisherman up in the Bay of Fundy. Um, you have to know the uh, the the tidal change. Very, you have to know your tides very very well. And also, I was told that it's a, that was a big part of the Normandy invasion in World War II. They have a large tidal range there, and uh, that way they had a they had to schedule the the D Day invasion in Normandy in World War II around the tides. Yeah, they they it was like a full moon, and because they wanted <clears throat> oh, was it syzygy? I, I think they wanted yeah the the high like high tide as possible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> get as far up as as you can yeah yeah so tides are very important um I didn't expect this podcast to take that turn about tides <laughs> but <laughs> oh man you get me going about fjords and funnel shaped bays oh, and yeah. oh man this is well well anyways nineteen fifty eight Latoya Bay, seventeen hundred foot tsunami. That's wasn't that how high they figured the uh, the Chicxulub tsunami was? About or yeah, something, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. But in that case, that was in open water. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Little 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 different condition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really, you know. That's really something. That is really something. <laughs> All right. Next story. Yeah, I just, real quick, there's, um, there was a big earthquake in Croatia today. Six yeah. How about that? What was it? A six what? Six four. Six four. But in Croatia, where it's, you know, six four is, you know, it's not like you're in the middle of the illusions in the middle of nowhere. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it did a lot. Of, did a lot of damage. I'll, I'm, there's a really interesting video. Um, I guess this, there was some there was some sort of press conference going on outside, in like in a street as the earthquake hits. Oh, and it show you can. I mean, you can see everything sort of bounce and shake, but the noise it makes, and I feel like people sometimes don't realize that there's noise associated with earthquake. Like that that oh, rumble that, that yeah that low hertz. Have to uh, it's the Taos hum. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'll have to if I find that um, we can post it with the show notes. Yeah, yeah, definitely have to post that. There's a video. Um, oh man, it's wild. It's of a uh, an earthquake in Japan, and the person that uh, took this video is up on a skyscraper, like way up there. Ooh. And they show all the skyscrapers swaying back and forth during the earthquake. And whoo, it is just, I wouldn't want to be up in the skyscraper during an earthquake, but they're, they're engineered to do that. They're supposed to sway around. Yeah. It's still terrifying. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying it's not terrifying. It's like like (laughs) saying, you know, roller coasters are engineered to handle that. Like no crap, but I'm still terrified. I don't want to go on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. No. You can see, no, just you can no. See the amount of swaying that these skyscrapers. <laughs> oh are doing man, it give me like, chills just talking about it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, no, nope, 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 nope. They're meant to do it, but no, thank you. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, real quick, I'd like to talk about um, something that's near and dear to my heart, though. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and that is formatting Word documents. Oh. Yeah. Do tell. Well, so, um, as per usual, I... <laughs> I, I I guess I've just become lazy and now anytime like you know how do I make a capital letter like I just email the word gurus that is the formatting formula and they tell me like hit uh, shift and that letter and that'll become <laughs> a capital Steve your cap locks is all oh, that's can, why you cap have no locks oh, that'll <laughs> lock all my see yeah, like that's the thing. Like the the formatting formula has become so dominant in my life right now that I don't even like. I I have learned so much from them from from all their videos, but when it comes to something that like, I just don't feel like taking the time out to learn. I just email them and they come up with the solution like instantaneously, essentially. So please, please, please. Uh, check out the formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash uh, formatting formula for all of your word documenting needs. I mean, honestly, from table of contents to uh, you can like, there's tricks to like capitalize everything or uncapitalize everything or, or like just all, all kinds of weird things that you, never thought would be possible and or necessary until you need them to be possible and or necessary. And the formatting formula can figure it out for you very, very easily. So, you, you know, again, uh, I'm going through a 500 page document that was uh, composed in the early nineties, you know, back in the stone age and I had to convert it from a PDF to a word and then from word into like retranslate it into times new Roman, like just all this stuff. And the formatting formula was able to take this 400 page document and basically shrink it down to a manageable, which doesn't even seem manageable, but 200 page document to which I could then start editing. Like it was incredible. So formatting formula, I can't say enough about them love them they've been fantastic sponsors of the podcast but also just fantastic prognosticators of the word environment so thank you very much formatting formula please check them out formattingformula.com or youtube forward slash c forward slash formatting formula tell them the geology flannel cast sent you there you go ladies and gentlemen they know their stuff Seriously, they're called, they're called the formatting formula. But but honestly, like crazy, like anything from like oh, I wish I could do like this little tiny thing to I wish I could change this entire environment. All all, all of that can be done. So check them out. All right. Um. All right. What do you guys want to talk about next? As you can tell, this is very well rehearsed. This is I, guess, like this. <laughs> I got a short one. Do yeah, it. let's I, do it. And honestly, I can't remember if I've talked about it or not. I'll let you know. Um, about <clears throat> humans using fire. Did I talk about this yet? Uh, might have. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I know because, well, this is right up a friend of the podcast, Alex, who we had on while ago at this point it's sort of what he did looking at sort of human settlements and and how they determined whether or not people were there or whatnot so, Fire! so one of the long sort of standing questions when we talk about early hominids and early humans modern humans is when we really started controlling fire Okay. And or cooking food. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's there's a group. So is that Prometheus or is that Hades? 
Prometheus. Prometheus had fire. Fire. Did but ha- Hades had fire too. Which one stole the fire? Prometheus stole the fire? I think Prometheus stole the fire and gave it yeah. to the world. You're right. Yeah, I think you're I right. I think you're right. We're just uh, showing our knowledge of ancient Greek mythology here. Uh, is Prometheus a- Roman? Nope. I always confuse him. Yeah, he's he's Greek. He um he stole it. Uh, or yeah, I oh he gave it to humans. Yeah, stolen gave yeah. to humans. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so he stole hey. from Hades. Thanks, Prometheus. I don't know who he stole it from. Just the other gods. Yeah. Either way. Either way, we're all grateful. Yeah. So we can have charred meats. Yeah. Um, so where was I at? Oh, when uh, humans, when humans started to control fire. No, no, I just want to turn this into a Greek. Yeah, I mean, obviously, after Prometheus gave it to us. Yeah. Which was, tell us the date. Uh, 1.9 million years ago. Right, thank Whoa. goodness for Prometheus. Yeah, so one of the one of the questions, you know, a lot of times when we find uh, sort of we can find charred layers near human habitation or human fossil sites. That's it. Qu- the question is, is this just, and a lot of these early human sites are, are in this case, they're looking in uh, the African Rift Valley in East Africa is basically where modern humans evolved. In, in this case, the Turkana Basin, which is near Lake Turkana. Um, where are the chances of that happening? What's that? The Turkana Basin being near Lake near Turkana. It's, it, <laughs> it really nailed it. I'm lucky, <laughs> lucky with the name. Uh, so <clears throat> it's a grassland. And um, so it's prone to just natural grassland fires, like wildfires. And so you find sort of charred materials. And so one of the questions was, you know, when are they just sort of getting lucky and using fire that's handy to them versus actually controlling fire and cooking food and, and whatnot. And so what this, this group, um, they presented just at the AGU conference this year uh, in, you know, like three weeks ago or whenever it was. And um, the researchers from Lamont Doherty, which is at Columbia and, and I want to say some of the folks that, from Rutgers were also on this study. Yeah. Um, but basically what they had did, and this is sort of what Alex did as well, is they're looking at the geochemistry of the sediment, not just saying, all right, there's charred coal here, there's charred material, but they're looking at the PAHs, the polyaromatic hydrocarbons. Okay. And it tells something about how the material burned. Um, I, I didn't get into it too much, mm-hmm. but it, um, it it's basically what they're finding is that these PAHs are what they think are more prevalent in when humans are, are actively setting the fires and, and, and using the fires, not only to cook mm-hmm. food, but they're starting to look at a larger, a wider scale now, and we're starting to see like landscape management where they're sort of clearing areas, maybe. Mm. Oh, what the sort of that's that's a little bit more out there as an idea, but yeah, Lance, that's interesting. How they were? I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't know if the art does the article go into like what they looked for for landscape management. No, you, yeah, that'd be interesting to see that's what you quote, but yeah, but it's what you look for. Like in the air, like to see, you know, what's the evidence that people were were clearing out this these trees for for fuel, basically. Yeah, and so they're, you know, it, it it'll be interesting if they once they expand on this because you you do, you know, you, you see evidence of charcoal mm-hmm. near um, human settlements at the time, and so you know it's trying to distinguish between humans just playing with fire and using it sort of intermittently to controlling it and being able to use it on demand. Yeah. You know, we, 
we did talk about something similar to this, I think like uh, two or three weeks ago. We were talking about, didn't we have a discussion previously about how can you tell if it's just like a natural fire versus like, yeah, versus like we, like, I, I think we, I want to say that we did. Salt sounds very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, anyways, Sorry. it's a, okay. no, 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 no. It's, it's a, oh, oh, that's what it was. It was when we were talking about when did humans come to North America? Right. That's where, that's why it was, uh, it's sounding oh. familiar. Yeah. Yep. yeah. We're, we're expanding on that. We're expanding your knowledge of fire and PAHs. Fire. Right on. Fire. Right on. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead would say. Thank you. Fire, fire. Yeah. So, so far today, Steve has referenced his 1990s references were Dumb and Dumber mm-hmm. and, and now Beavis and Butthead. And that's yeah. it. Only, only two today. It's pretty good. Actually, yes. That's very reserved. Very reserved. Yeah, I apologize. I apologize for my lag of '90s knowledge. Dust <laughs> off some of the VHSs. <clears throat> yeah, right. Uh, somehow figure out how to bring in Brandon Stimpy or something. I don't know. I got nothing. Wow. <laughs> That's which is it's really sort of funny when we talk about VHSs because uh, my buddy, also friend of the friend of the podcast, social media manager Barry. Hey, Barry. Got a uh, got some like someone gave him DVDs as a gift and he's like, I don't even do have a this? DVD player anymore. Like, <laughs> technology is moving very fast. I got one last DVD player. I have a, I have my old Xbox 360 oh. every once in a while. I'll watch an old DVD on that. Like once, maybe like once a year. I don't know. Yeah. We have a Blu-ray slash DVD player where we'll. Yeah. We've got one. It's not. Dust them on. Yeah. It's not turned on or anything, but. Yeah, man, I, I do still have uh, somewhere in the garage. I have a VHS and DVD player. Look at oh, you! Oh, look! Wow! I'm big, telling big, you, big money, Ooh. Peterson. So, if anybody has something they need to watch on VHS, you just let me know. The format is no matter to you. Yeah, like Harry and the Hendersons or something. I don't know. <laughs> is that right next to your laser disc player? I do not own a laser disc player, and that is something <laughs> that is haunted me in my I, technological life i remember when they cleared out one of the renovations or whatever they were clearing out at, at our department they were getting yeah. rid of the laser disc player and i regret not snagging that it was oh, man you could have pawned that not only that but like they were high end at the time so if you can get your hands on a laser disc player they are high quality high-end machines and yeah. I, I don't know there's a good friend of the show gary Sinchcomb, who posted a facebook post it was a pretty sweet facebook post about somebody trying to sell a laser displayer and they're like i know you may have a dvd player but this is for a man this is a 12 inch laser disc like it was just like the the like manliest most masculine way to describe of how of watching a video should be and it was hysterical but it was basically somebody trying to offload their laser disc player and it was ridiculous <laughs> so uh if you're out there I, let me know uh, i'll buy it for 20 bucks but i've only seen one in my life i saw i saw one of the old i guess were they, were they around before cds yeah big uh no cds around since the 80s so it was after the cd wikipedia tells me 1978 laser disc yeah really yeah cd according to wikipedia uh i'm I'm sorry i got distracted because you can buy speed the movie on laserdisc for ten dollars yeah so laserdisc was like hd before that's that's actually a little more expensive than like because you can get dvds for like two dollars right yeah. No. It's like Wait, the bargain what? bin at Walmart. You can get like really cheap, like maybe like five dollar DVDs. Yeah, but it's like the size of a record. I know that. I, I no. Come on, man. Oh, you're. I'm saying like, that's too. Who the hell has a laser disc player? Uh, if I did, I'd be buying Speed right now. <laughs> you you can get uh, the Lion King, and it specifically says this is not a DVD. <laughs> 
They actually have a picture. Nice. Hey, could you imagine if you thought you were buying a DVD and this this gigantic twelve inch laser definitely... showed up? Oh, oh here we go. Jurassic Park twenty dollars. Mm. Yeah. All right. Now look up the price of a laser disc player. That's what. It, yeah. That's that's next. This this definitely has taken a turn. Whoa. Oh no, that's a DVD player. I was gonna say it's only forty bucks. Um. Here is. Yeah, I cannot see. This is crazy. Hmm. Got to yeah. get on eBay probably. Yeah. Hundred. I'm looking at hundred bucks. Uh. Yeah. Well. Two fifty on eBay. Eighty nine. Yeah, on yeah. eBay. See, I, this is what the flannel cast needs right now is a laser display. We could, we should have watched Jurassic Park on Laserdisc. Yeah, seriously. And all of our patrons are like, nope, I'm no longer supporting this podcast. Right, They're yeah. going to spend their money on Laserdiscs. <laughs> Next, all right. things on Betamax. <laughs> ah, Betamax. Oh, oh. There you go, Dennis. Patreon Dennis, the geology flannel <laughs> disc. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I do have uh, mini discs. And they made a disc player. No, I so I can, uh, I can bust them out in my next flannel cast. I don't even know what that, what is that? When did that come out? Uh, come on, man. It was like late 90s, early 2000s. It was a recordable CD, but it was a mini disc. It was like this big. I remember the little disc like AOL used to have them with like thousand free hours or whatever. Uh, it, was, the, it was, it was like CDs. that, but they were like in a cartridge, like almost like a cassette. Oh, it, was, it was gorgeous. It was lovely. They were fantastic. Anyways, anyway, this is the this is the time of the episode. Seriously, does we, nobody uh, remember mini discs? Really... I do. <laughs> All right, thank you, Jesse. Uh, what do you say, fellas? You want to do, uh... <laughs> Maddie? No, <Maddie> no, <laughs> no, just no. Uh, I got one more story, but I think we should save our this this story for the uh, the the Patreon exclusive. I love it because extra. You want to save it because it's so big. Yes, it's an enormous, but it's about it's the size. It's not of, about a mini disc. No, it's something very cold about the size of Delaware. It's about uh, laser discs then. Well, here you go. If you'd <laughs> like to hear, we're going to save this for the, the Patreon extra, but if you'd like to hear what we have to say, we always have uh, com- some Patreon extra videos, uh, Patreon exclusive videos, let's just say, if you become a, a Patreon um, sponsor of the Geology Flannel Cast, we have a uh, uh, some, some tiers, some Patreon tiers, starting at as as little as two dollars a month. If you if you pledge uh, two dollars a month, we'll hook you up with some stickers as a thank you, um, and uh, so other tiers. Um, uh, you know, you can do uh, some of the other things that you get are you can see come hang out with us every week before we record the podcast and hang out during the the podcast recording. We post extra videos about other news stories that we. Uh, we talk about that didn't make it to the uh, the podcast cuts. So, um, so yeah, if you if you'd like to help out the podcast, go to patreoncom slash flannelcast. Um, other ways to support the the podcast, just uh, write us a review on iTunes. Just something simple as that. You don't need, um, you know like our like our videos on uh, on YouTube and stuff like that. We post the video pod, you know the video for the all the podcasts on uh, on YouTube. Um, uh, just look up Geology Final Cast. Uh, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash geology final cast. On Twitter, we're at Geo Final Cast. And I always. Instagram. Insta- Instagram. Yes. Geology <laughs> Final Cast. Um, for the new kids. For the kids. Get, get we're on, on Insta. Insta. We're now on Insta. On the Insta. Um, and Steve's going to be starting a geology flannel cast TikTok where he does interpretive dances of <laughs> different types of rocks <laughs> in yeah. his rock collection. So yeah. um, stay tuned for that. I dance to rock music with my rocks. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Uh, uh, as, I, as I leave Chris and Jesse in my dust as my TikTok takes off. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a geology joke in there somewhere about the dust. And- <laughs> Good times. Anyway, yes, please support us all on all oh. of our 
Insta. Yeah, go to uh, geologyfinalcast.com. Uh, you go there and uh, you can uh, hit us up. Shoot us an email. Say hi. We love talking to our fans. Uh, or every once in a while, we'll do an episode on listener questions. So if you have a geology question, hit uh, click on listener, listener questions on the Geology Final Cast website. Or the other way to help us out, we, we started selling some merch. So we, right now we have uh, stickers and, and the lovely Geology Flannel Cast Coat of Arms coffee mug. So yes. be sure to check all that stuff out on geologyflannelcast.com. Yes, and, and for your old people, merch means merchandise. Thank you, Steve. Sorry. Um, and I think that just about wraps it up for this week. That's it. 2020 is a wrap. We're done. I'll get this thing out on New Year's Eve 2020. And this is, this is the last podcast of, uh, of this year, 2021. Next time we talk to you guys, it'll be New Year 2021. 2021 is our year. We're, 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 taking, we're taking it over. I can't wait. There we go. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate all of our, all of our fans listening. Thank you so much, all of our all of our um, uh, uh, friends have sponsored us on Patreon. Thank you so much for helping us out. And thank you very uh, much to the Formatic Formula for always being our wonderful, wonderful sponsor. Yes, thank you, Formatic Formula. And uh, have a great day, everyone. Happy New Year's, and we'll see you guys in 2021. Bye.